Last week, uh, Eric told you that I, I was going to be teaching the next few weeks in Revelation, and somehow he conveniently um, left off at the most difficult area of, of Revelation and then leaves me with it. So uh, thank you, Pastor Eric, um, for this wonderful uh, time that I have to walk through in being able to uh, walk through this section of Scripture. Um, Eric, if you're listening, uh, I know where you live. No, just kidding, but uh, I, I do know where you live. Uh, seriously, though, um, this is a pretty gnarly section of Scripture. As we get into this study tonight, we are going to see uh, destruction. We're going to see destruction like never before, a devastation and death that cripples this earth, planet earth, and mankind as we know mankind today. We're going to see a stampede of horses coming onto the scene tonight. We are going to see uh, four horsemen. And so, uh, if you would, open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, as we continue through the study of Revelation tonight, I've titled this message, The Four Horsemen, because there are four horsemen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, as we were singing just a few minutes ago, the cry of our heart is to bring you praise, Lord. Lord, our desire as this world is going downward, Lord, may we ascend upward. Lord, Lord, help us to desire heaven like never before. Lord, help us to long for your appearing and your coming. Lord, we look forward to the second coming of Jesus, that he would come and redeem his church and redeem his people and, and deal with wickedness and, and bring justice where justice is due. But Lord, as we wait, Lord, we look and we study and we understand, and Lord, may you bring greater understanding even tonight to our hearts and to our minds in this section of Scripture. Lord, we, we are looking at things forward, things that are, are going to, that's, come, that's going to come. And so, Lord, we don't know every detail, but Lord, we, we, we have come to some understanding through your scripture of what is to come. And so, Lord, as we look at that tonight, Lord, help us. Help us to rest in you. Help us to trust you. Help us to understand that you're a sovereign God and you're in control. You have everything in your hands. And so we pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Have you ever seen a herd of animals, uh, whether it's a stampede uh, of wildebeest uh, from Africa or, or cows being being herded through or, or horses that are, that are stampeding of some sort, running in unison, this power uh, 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 that, that is really kind of crazy, the, the amount of power that's there that can destroy things. I was watching a video on, on YouTube because that's where all the videos are, Right? And I, was, and I went there and I was looking at the stampede of wildebeest that were just going. It's like three, 300,000 of them just going through this river and going across the land. And, and it's crazy. You got to check it out. But it's just tons of them just running. And when they get done, the land that's behind where they just went through is just like destroyed. It's like nothing. And if, you, if there was something alive there before... It is now dead, if you know what I mean. It's said that the, the, the herd of animals running together like that could, could cause destruction. Every, it causes destruction in everything in its path. Well, in our study to, tonight, we see four horsemen, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, riding into the scene of, the, of Scripture. These four horsemen aren't a force to be reckoned with. 
because what comes with them comes uh, some, some devastation and some power. That's how John, the writer of Revelation, sees it. Four colored horses we're going to see tonight, each of them bringing extreme judgment upon the earth. The first horse that we're going to see is a white horse. The second horse is a fiery red horse. The third horse is a black horse. And then the last horse is a pale horse or a pale green horse. A pretty wild vision, almost a psychedelic western, if you would say. Uh, as you look at this tonight, these, these riders coming in on these horses. You see, I believe that these seals that we're going to look at tonight, that are going to be opened in this chapter, are a descriptive summary of the, of the tribulation period that's to come. Now, some of you... Uh, might not know what the tribulation period is. Maybe you're wondering, what is that? I've heard it before, but I don't really understand it. It's a, it's a seven-year period of time where the, the world will experience worldwide uh, devastation that we see described in Daniel chapter 9. In fact, if you want to keep your finger in Revelation 6 and you want to read along with me, it's Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. I'm going to read it for you. He says, and then shall confirm a covenant with, with many for one week. Now, the one week that is spoken of in Daniel, we understand if you study that, that it's, it's, seven, it's speaking of a seven-year period of time. But in the middle of that week, so in the middle of those seven years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolation. Desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolation. Now, I don't have time to go into all of those words and all of that, but what I'm talking about is that, that tribulation period that's coming, a time where, where, where judgment is going to come upon this earth. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. These four horsemen usher in the, the, the great tribulation. And then following after uh, Revelation chapter 6, in the following chapters of Revelation, we see it detailed out for us the play-by-play -play of those seven years. So in the, in the, in the chapters ahead, we're going to see all of, this, all of the, 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 the judgments come into to play uh, that are going to come during those seven years. So let's begin, if you would, uh, with me in Revelation chapter, chapter 6, verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the, the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a, with a voice like thunder, Come and see. Now remember from last week, Eric, in chapter 5, there was a scene in heaven John was taken up to heaven, right? He was, he was seeing this, this throne, sit, seating, and there was someone seat, seated on the throne. It was God the Father, the, the ruler of heaven and earth, and there was a scroll in God's right hand, right? It was a scroll in God's right hand, and the question was asked, who is worthy to open up the scroll and to break open its seals, God the Father was asking that question, and the answer, and the only answer, was the lamb that had been slain. The, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root uh, of David, Jesus Christ, the one and only, the one that's only worthy to open up the scroll. So John, in his vision, sees this scroll. It's, it's, it's probably rolled up as a scroll with seven seals on it. Now, our documents today aren't sealed with, with seals like this. This was common in, in the, the days of old. These seals would be little wax seals that were of, of authenticity. It would show that, that it came from a certain person and, and, it, and it would give it, give it uh, authority. 
Well, this document, this scroll had seven seals on it. And the seals would be, you would, you would take a wax and you would melt the wax and you would drip the wax onto that, that edge of that, sea, uh, of that document. And then, and then they would take a ring or, or an image to show authenticity and they would press it into that wax. Well, well John... He sees this, this scroll with these seven seals on it. And we're going to see these seals broken open as, as things happen, as, they, as they're broken. Well, in, in, in opening the first seal, this would usher in the beginning of the end. Daniel 12 says, There will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even Jesus himself in Matthew 24 said, made, uh, made this prediction uh, in Matthew 24. And he says, for then there will be a great tribulation such as not been seen the beginning of the world nor ever shall be. Something else to, to watch for as we go through, just as, uh, as we go through this chapter and the subsequent chapters uh, in weeks to come, is the judgments described here are progressive, and they intensify as they come. There's a pattern to them. There's, there's seven, and then there's seven, and then there's seven. There's seven seals on, on the scroll, and then each, of, each represent a judgment from, from the Lord. At the seventh seal, when it's, when it's broken open, it will usher in seven more judgments called the trumpet judgments, where trumpets will be blown making the announcement. And then on the seventh trumpet, when it's blown, will then usher in the final set of judgments that are called the bold judgments. It's as if the wrath of God is being poured out as a bowl upon the earth. But when those are done, it's done. When those are, are finished, when those are done, then the, then the final judgment is done. There will be no more judgment and it will be over. Then Jesus will return. That's the second coming of Christ, and that's when the, the great white throne judgment will happen. Then Satan will be bound, and then the kingdom of God will be established. And then we will rule and reign on the earth. Some of you might be asking yourself, is the church still here during these judgments? As we look at these judgments tonight, as, as Pastor Eric answered last week, we believe that, that God will rapture his church prior to, as the, as, the, as the tribulation begins, he will take up his church and we will be in, with him in the air. We will be with the Lord and, and those judgments will be taking place here on earth. So what we will see tonight, I believe we won't be a part of, but we might see the beginnings of as, we, as it comes in. So let's look with me at verse 2 as we look at this first horse together. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and, and went out conquering and to conquer. Sounds pretty good, right? Sounds pretty, pretty, uh, pretty, uh, a pretty good rider here. A white horse, a bow, and a crown. Remember in the old Western movies when the white horse would ride, the, the rider in the white horse would come riding into, into town, right? And he was the good guy, right? He was the one that would save the day. Well, this, this guy, he's, he looks like he's going to be our hero. He looks like the good guy. Some people have even said in reading this that they think he's the good guy. They think he's Jesus Christ. But hold that thought for just a second. 
If I wanted to make a counterfeit uh, $20 bill, don't you think I would make it l- like the original? I would, I would try to copy the original just like, like it, it looks. I wouldn't put Donald Trump's face on the front of it. No, I would put Andrew Jackson's face on it because that's who's on there. I would want it to look and feel and be just like the original. I would, I would want to fake you out to know that, that it's a counterfeit. Well, I believe what we see here is a counterfeit. That's the idea of the counterfeit. Well, this first writer is such a good counterfeit that the people have been fooled as to his identity. And as he comes on the scene for real, they will be fooled again. He will look good. He will, he will be, uh, be shiny and convincing. Some have thought that this rider on the white horse is Jesus Christ, and I would say that he's not. It doesn't fit because Jesus comes on a white horse at the end of the tribulation period, not at the beginning. In, in, in Revelation chapter 19, and when he comes, he comes to end carnage, to end warfare, to end bloodshed. This writer comes at the beginning of tribulation and brings, and because, when he, because he comes, he, he ushers in destruction and carnage and bloodshed and war. Also, Jesus in Revelation 19 has many crowns on his head. The Greek word for crown in Revelation 19 is diadem, which means a permanent crown, a crown that rulers would wear. Yet this crown that he's, that's being talked about here is the Greek word stophanus, meaning a temporary crown, a crown made of olive branches and laurel leaves, symbolizing a temporal victory. Also in Revelation 19, Jesus comes with a sword dipped in the blood of his enemies. This writer comes with a bow and no arrows. I believe signifying that he will conquer without bloodshed. He will bring peace for a time. A worldwide peacemaker, so to speak. Wolvert and Zuck, a, uh, in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, says this. He says, the best interpretation is that the conqueror mentioned here in the, the future, is the future world leader, world ruler, sometimes, refer, re, sometimes referred to as the Antichrist, though Revelation does not use this term. He is probably the same person as the ruler of the people mentioned in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, indicating that the world government that he established was gained without warfare and that his future world government will begin with a time of peace but soon followed by destruction. So they say, they're saying, that this is the Antichrist coming in the name of peace. Church, I believe in looking through the whole book of of Revelation This is the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing, a man of deception that comes in that is very crafty and and deceives people, yet, yet he will then bring the sword. He'll manage to bring a temporary kind of peace. He'll even be able to to, uh, make peace between the Arabs and the Israelis. He will build a temple for the Jewish nation. He, he, in the middle of those seven years, though, in the middle of that seven-year period of time, he will break his covenant with those people. The mask will be ripped off, and the reality of who he really is will be seen. The people will see his true colors, and they will see the imposter that he truly is. So after this white horse of deception comes another horse, comes the red horse, 
Let's look on in verse 3. In Revelation, verse, uh, Re- Revelation 6, verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that the people should kill one another, and there was even and there was given to him a great sword. So whoever this first cowboy was on this first horse, the peace that he brings doesn't last. In its place, we will see devastation in the form of a fiery red horse. Now, in the Bible, when we see the color red, the color red often is associated with war, with bloodshed, with uh, terrorism. In Revelation chapter 12, there's a red dragon. In Revelation 17, there's a red beast just as Adolf Hitler promised peace but plunged the world into war, the Antichrist will promise peace but plunge the entire globe into the most devastating kind of war we will have ever seen. Notice that, that it meant what's mentioned in verse 4. It says, a great sword... So with, this first, so with the first rider, there was a bow, but no arrows. That bow is now put down, and another is picked up. It is a great sword. A tool of destruction and warfare is taken up. Peace now vanishes from the earth. And Daniel, the prophet, in Daniel 8, 24, seeing into the future about the coming world dictator, says this, His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy destroy fearfully and shall uh, possess and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Jesus depicted the same thing. In Matthew chapter 24, when he was talking to his disciples about the the last days, Jesus says this in in verse 4 of chapter 24, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you do not, see that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. And these things are the beginning of sorrows. Same sequence as we see here in chapter 6 as we study on. By the way, let me encourage you to take some time to... Uh, just read through Matthew chapter 24 because we're going to be referring to it not only tonight but the weeks to come. So it's your homework, so to speak. So take some time to, to meditate on, on Matthew chapter 24 and, uh, and, and take that in for a little while. Now, ever since man has been on earth, we've had war, haven't we? We've figured out ways to kill each other. Whether it's with our bare hands or with sticks and stones or with bullets or bombs, it doesn't matter. We, we decide, we find ways to, to go into war with one another because our hearts are wicked and we're in need of a Savior. Yet this war that we are, see, we are going to see that this fiery red horse brings in, he brings in war and will be a war like never before. By the way, did you know that today, according to the Center of Defense Information, the United States alone, now this is staggering. I didn't, even, I didn't know about this until I started looking, looking at this information. 
But the United States alone, this is just our country alone, has an arsenal of 35,000 nuclear weapons, 35,000 nuclear weapons, nuclear warheads. Each warhead is equivalent to the capacity of 460 million tons of TNT, each one which is 35 times greater than the bomb that went off at Hiroshima. 35,000 times greater than the bomb that went off at Hiroshima. With one warhead of what we have as a, in the United States, we could level a whole island. We could take out uh, sections of countries with no problem. And we have, have 35,000 of those. And that's just our country. That's not talking about Russia or anybody else that's out there that, that has, has that. Staggering, isn't it, when you think about it? So we've seen this, this white horse of deception We've seen this red horse that's come on the scene and now has brought destruction through war as we, as we read through those verses, but there's more to come. Let's continue on in Revelation chapter, uh, in, in verse five. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. Now, if I was John at this point, I would say, I don't really wanna come and see anymore. <laughs> Right? Like, this is too much. Like, I've seen enough. And he goes on and he says, And I looked, and behold, a black horse. He who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil in the wine. This cowboy had a pair of scales in his hand. Scales are used for measuring, for weighing things. A denarius was a term used at that time for the amount that someone would make in a day, a day's wage. So it's saying you will work all day and you will gain very little. You will work all day and you will gain a quart of wheat. Three quarts of barley, which equals about a meal, one meal of wheat, or, or a few meals of barley. I believe what we're seeing here is a description of an extreme famine that this horse brings in. Now, famine has always been the result of war. So it doesn't surprise me that we have deception, then we have war, and then we have famine. Where there's war, famine surely follows, doesn't it? Because there, there's a shortage of food. We've, we've destroyed the, the, the areas that, that, would grow, that would be able to grow crops, and now we've had to give, uh, give way to, to trying to help in war, and now the food, supply, food supplies are destroyed. And it becomes difficult to live and survive. Let me ask a question. Have you ever been hungry? I mean really hungry. I mean to the point where you, you, you haven't eaten for a few days. That's a point where you start to feel it. Really feel it. This is what's coming. There will be starvation. There will be, uh, there will be death because of this famine that's coming. Well, that's what's depicted here with this uh, rider of this black horse. This cowboy comes to bring famine, and there will be a major uh, cause of death. It will be a major cause of death in this great tribulation. So we have this white horse of deception. We have the red horse 
of, of war. We have this black horse of famine, but this rodeo is not over yet. We have one more horse, and there's, this horse comes with two riders. Let's look on in verse 7. And when he opened the fourth scroll, this fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So we have this one rider, and we have this one horse and two riders. Death rides in with Hades. It's like it's like two notorious outlaws coming into town to cause some trouble. It's like Bonnie and Clyde. Except these guys were not messing around. They're, they're, they're ready to take life. They come riding on this pale green horse. By the way, the word pale here in the Greek is coloris which means, which uh, we get our word chlorine from, which gives us the color of the horse that's coming. It's kind of a sickly color. Death. When death comes upon someone, they, they often turn this, this green sort of color, and I think this is the color of that horse. So the horse carries on its back death. These cowboys have the the capacity to take out a fourth of the population, human population. That's a lot of death. In in the world today, in the United States today, uh, uh, there's, I mean, in the world today, there's approximately eight billion people on planet Earth. Two billion of them would be gone, just like that. Two billion and death is claiming lives, while Hades claims souls, taking them to hell along with them. Both are claiming lives by sword, by, by starvation, by death, and by the beasts of the earth. Now, some have wondered, what are these beasts of the earth? Well, um, some say that it, it's uh, the different types of animals that we have on the earth that were taking out the weak that would be uh, sickly in, in, as, um, as a human race and they would be coming in and, and taking, taking people down. But one commentator said that they think it might be rats because rats carry, uh, carry along with them disease and are easy, easily can be transferred to, to others Whatever it may be, it's not good. <laughs> it's going to be a mess. It's going to be, it's not going to be a good day at all. Let's look on in verse, verse 9. And when they opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. As this fifth seal is broken open, there is a, a dramatic difference between what we see in the other seals and this one. John sees something completely different. He sees no horses, no horsemen, but souls. Souls of believers who had been killed for their faith, martyrs under this altar. When the Old Testament priests presented an old, uh, I mean, an animal sacrifice, the victim's blood was poured out at the, the base of the, the blazing altar, poured out to, uh, to, at the feet of that altar. And so it is true of these souls as the blood of these, these martyrs are poured out at the bottom of this altar. Now, I believe that these martyrs are those that had gotten saved since the rapture of the church at the beginning of the tribulation. 
And you might be thinking, you mean people are going to get saved during this time? Absolutely. God's heart is for all to come to him and to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I believe that these are, these are souls that have been truly saved in the midst of this terrible time. But we see that God is merciful still. He is long-suffering and he's waiting. He desires that all would come to repentance and be saved. In fact, in 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 says, This is a good and acceptable to, in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And it doesn't stop even in the, the midst of the tribulation of judgment that's coming upon this earth. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. You see, God's desire is that all would come to salvation, that none would perish, not one, that, that all would call on the name of the Lord. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, you're here and you're going, gosh, I walked into something weird tonight. Yes, you did. And I believe that it's a warning. Jesus is calling your name. He's saying, don't wait any longer. Come to me. Come and, and know me. Come and know the living God, the one that created you and knows you. Don't wait. In fact, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 says, Behold, I come, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice... And opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Don't ignore it. Verse 10, and they cried uh, with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth then, the, then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. There is an important question asked here in these verses. How long will, will it be before you avenge them, Lord? Our God will bring justice, but he is long-suffering, and he will wait until the right time. But the question is not if, it's when, because he will bring judge, uh, judgment, and vengeance is his, and he will bring vengeance on the wicked. You see, God's word tells us that justice is coming in that second coming of Christ, he will set things right and every, every person will stand before the living God. You know, some people have asked me, they said, you know, uh, do, uh, all roads can't leave, lead, lead to God. And I said, oh, yes, they do. All roads lead to God. It may not be a good, a good road that you're on, but they will lead there someday and you will stand before him and you will... And you will uh, have to pay, uh, you will have to, to account for your life. It's a heavy thought. These martyrs cry out, avenge us, O Lord. Look at verse 11 again. Each of these martyrs were given a white robe to wear in, in, in a place to rest. Their lives were not sacrificed in vain. Ultimately, God is in control. He's sovereign. He knows exactly what he's doing and he's using every one of those lives to bring glory to his name. And he gives each one of them a robe, a white robe to wear and he says, come in and be, and be home and be at peace. As they wait for those that will continue to die and give their life as destruction is happening on the earth and those 
that are living for his name, Jesus' name, are martyred for, for, for his name. Look on in verse, verse 12. And I looked and went in, and he opened the sixth seal and behold there was a great earthquake and the sun be, became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the skies receded as a scroll when it is when it when it rolled rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. This is catastrophic. This is something we've never seen before. This is something that this earth and and and, and mankind has never experienced before. Something beyond what we could ever understand. The opening of this sixth seal will produce world chaos. As it begins, as we begin to experience this worldwide uh, catastrophic events, crazy things start to happen to the Earth's atmosphere. Some commentators say that this is the result of a nuclear war. But I believe something different. I believe that it is the actual supernatural move of God that would bring about the earth in the change that happens, that he would shake this earth. And that in it would move the earth from its axis, causing uh, plates to shift and land to move and things to fall into the water. But whatever it is, it's devastating. An earthquake so big, so grand, that mountains fall and islands are gone. Sun becomes black and the moon becomes red and stars begin to fall out of the sky and start to happen things all over the place. things that we've never seen before. And in verse 15 it says, and the, king, the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the commander of the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of of the Lamb. Here comes the judgment. And those wicked have, don't, have, don't want to have anything to do with God at this point. They say, hide me from this, this face, this Lamb, this wrath. Hide me from it. Everyone is affected. Kings, great men, Poor men, rich men, everyone, the fear of God begins to grip them and the wrath of, wrath of the Lamb begins to judge them. And the sad thing is, is they want to run and hide and there's no place for them to run and hide. Now there's an old song in the 60s that was written about this, about these two verses. An old 60s song written uh, called, O Sinner Man, Sinner Man. And this is what it's, uh, this is what it, uh, how it goes. It says, O Sinner Man, where are, where are you going to run to? Sinner Man, where are you going to run to? Where are you going to run to all on that day? We got to run to the rock. Please hide me, rock. And I ran to the rock. Please hide me, rock. I ran to the rock. Please hide me, rock. All on that day. But the rock cried out, I cannot hide you. The rock cried out, I cannot hide you. The rock cried out, I cannot hide you. All on that day. And I said, rock, what's the matter with you, rock? Don't you see I need you, rock, all on that day? So I run to, I run, I run to the, the river, but it's bleeding. And I run to the sea, 
and it's bleeding. And I run to the sea, and it's bleeding all on that day. And I run to the devil. And the devil was waiting. And I run to the devil, and the devil was waiting. And I run to the devil, and the devil was waiting all on that day. You see, the only thing that's left for them is the devil. All on that day. The devil will be waiting to claim the victory over those souls. I will tell you that for sure. So, oh, sinner man, where are you going to run to? The answer is nowhere. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to run on that day. Just as Adam and Eve in Genesis, as they tried to hide themselves from God, remember? When they sinned and they, they ran and hide and they, they hid behind fig leaves and they were trying to hide themselves. And God says, Adam, what are you doing? What are you doing, Adam? There's no way you can hide from me. If you think you're hiding from God tonight in some way, in some part of your life, I need to let you know that you can't hide from God. Sorry to tell you, he sees, he sees you. And he knows your every thought. And it's, it's time to stop running from your creator. And it's, start, it's time to start coming to your creator, to come to Jesus tonight. Let's look at this last verse together. And it says in verse 17, for the great day of his wrath has come. This is the wrath that we're talking about. The judgment, the final judgment that Jesus would bring. That great day of his wrath has come and who will be able to stand? Who will be able to stand? Well, that is a good question, isn't it? Who will be able to stand? Church, we will be able to stand. And that is good news. We will be able to stand, not because of what we've done, but because of what he did. Not because of any merit on our own of anything that we did, but everything that Jesus did and what he took upon himself and what he did on the cross and brought us grace and peace and life. That, my friends, is why we get to stand. Amen? What did Jesus do? He made the way. You see, the Antichrist is a false king. But Jesus is the true king. The Antichrist is going to rob us from food and he's going to bring famine. Yet Jesus brings us the bread of life. Living water. Oh, this day is not going to be a pretty day. But for us, it's going to be a good day because it'll be over. And he will set things right. And he will then begin to reestablish things on this earth. Let me close with this. Revelation 3.20 again. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the, the door, I will come, to, come into him and dine with him and he with me. That is the invitation. He is knocking. He is waiting. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know his love and his, his goodness and his grace. But the only way you can come is empty-handed saying, Jesus, I need you. Saying, Jesus, I need, you, I need your sacrifice. I need you to make a way for my sin. 
tonight. If that's you, and you don't know Jesus, this message has been for you. And as we take communion together, as we reflect on Jesus' blood and his broken body that went to the cross for us, that now is resurrected and alive and brings us life, as we take communion together, we can rejoice. But if, that's, but if you don't know Jesus, this means nothing. This, sacri- th- this communion is just a cracker in juice. And you won't understand what that means until you come to him. So let me encourage you as, as we close tonight in worship that as pastors are going to be here on the right and the left, if that's you and you need Jesus, come boldly, come quickly and say, I need Jesus. I don't want to be a part of all of this that happens in this section of scripture. I don't want to, I don't want to be a part of this judgment. I want to be with you, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, as we as we close tonight, Lord, and we take communion together. Lord, it's such a privilege to come into your house and to take of you, to reflect on you, and to know that you have made the way for us to know you, the true and the living God, the powerful one, the Messiah. Jesus, tonight, if there are those in here that don't know you, Lord, and that this message is is scary for them, Lord, may you convict their hearts right now that they're in need of a Savior, that they're in need of of the the one true and living God that can set set their, their lives free and forgive them of sin but you got to come. you got to say, Jesus, I need, I'm in need of a Savior. Be my Lord. Be my, be my God. Be my Savior. Save me from my sin, Lord, and set me on a path that will, that will cause me to walk with you and to know you from this day forward. If that's you, we want to pray for you. We want to know you. We want to lead you in a prayer together. And so we, so we ask you to come. For the rest of us, Lord, we, we come to the communion table receiving the goodness of your grace again and again and again because you're such a good God. Thank you for being merciful. Thank you for being long-suffering with us, Lord. And thank you for being gracious. And Lord, pour out those things upon us, Lord, as we, as we conclude our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.